Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. I'm Joe McCall and I'm with, who's this, Alex? How are you doing, Alex? Alex is here. Hey, how's it going, man? Really good. Awesome. Um, where are you these days, Alex? Where am I? Yeah. I'm in Virginia, as always. <laughs> hey, Phil, are you with us? I am here. Well, hope you're doing well. <laughs> We're having a little technical difficulties here today, but uh, this is going to be part two of our interview with Phil Pustyovsky. Did I get that right, Phil? You nailed it. Awesome. I've been practicing. And uh, huh. Phil is a fantastic investor and coach. Uh, if you have not seen him on YouTube, you probably are never in YouTube. Um, he is everywhere, and he has really, really good video content on YouTube. And he's always teaching something that's really high quality. And you go watch his videos, and he's not, he's not, it's not hype. He's not pitching a bunch of stuff. That's really good quality education, and we recommend that everybody listening to this go check out Phil Pustyovsky's um, videos on YouTube. And Phil, your main channel is called Freedom Mentor. Is that right? That's right. Actually, it's all underneath my personal name, Phil Pustyovsky. You, you type in Phil, then put in the P. It'll fill in the rest. No, you just you just type in real estate investing and you'll find it. Yeah, <laughs> which is cool. Um, I think you're probably Phil, the largest um, YouTuber on real estate investing. Would you wouldn't you say? I believe that's correct. Twenty million views, a hundred over one hundred fifty thousand subscribers. I, I'm unless it's some other channel like Zillow or, or Realtor.com. Maybe theirs is bigger. I don't know, but. Yeah, as far as real estate, yeah, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm in a league of my own, and I, I just, I've been putting out these videos for so many years that it's just grown and grown exponentially. YouTube has continued to uh, blossom into a, a huge part of the web. Yeah, that's amazing. So we're honored to have you here, Phil. We don't have the best internet connection. Alex is uh, on his phone, and I'm in my, I'm in a computer in my car at a campground. My son is out. Uh, <laughs> My my son is out squirrel hunting right now with his friends. Squirrel hunting, yeah. nice. Yeah, they got uh, five or six of them last night, and uh... <laughs> the poor squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are y'all doing with them? Are you are you cooking them? Yeah, yeah, they're making squirrel stew tonight. Perfect. Oh my yeah, my, uh, my wife's grandfather, his favorite dish is squirrel gravy, and oh, I'm oh. a vegetarian. So when we first <laughs> went to meet. That part of the family, when uh, now my wife and I, when we were first dating, he goes, uh, he, he had some uh, biscuits and he poured this squirrel gravy on top. And uh, this was his big test to see if I was going to be a fit for the family. <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm sorry, Ernie, I don't, I'm a vegetarian. What? This oh. is my best squirrel gravy. <laughs> wow. I, I can't imagine eating a squirrel. Like I would think it was running around like, the, I don't know. Wow. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something, but I don't know. They, you look at them close; they look a lot like a rat to me. You know, with a bushy tail. Yeah, I would. They, uh, well, you know, I don't know. We got we got our twenty twos. We got our twenty twos out there, and uh, they're also fishing. So they caught some fish, and maybe they'll catch one that's big enough to put into mix in with the stew. I don't know. <laughs> but uh hey so phil um i apologize if we're having audio difficulties we'll do the best we can here i didn't want to cancel or reschedule our podcast interview with you but um uh last time we were talking phil we were talking about real estate gone bad and uh, can you retouch a little bit why it's important to look at real estate that's gone bad why is it important to know you know the mistakes that can happen or the bad things that can happen. Why? What's? Why? Why don't we only talk about the good things? Why do we should should we talk about the bad things? Yeah. The 
the the bad side of real estate is an enormous, enormous body of knowledge. And when you avoid the wrong things, you're able to be more productive and more profitable. The the negatives, the problems with it are so vast and so varied. And the biggest challenge is that most people have never been exposed to them. Because when you first get started in any endeavor that you would like to embark on, you're going to be obviously bent toward the positive. What could go right? When someone gets married, they're not thinking about all of the problems that marriage is about to incur on them. Um, even though it's a wonderful institution, there are problems with it, right? So the, the issues that can occur in real estate, they're so dangerous primarily because most people have never been exposed to them. And then for me, being that I have such a, a vast array of experiences and because of the massive network of people and, and the just flow of information coming at me, and this is real-world information, I have a vantage point that allows me uh, to quickly grab what I call signal. So the noise is all of the uh, information that's, that's flooding our lives all the time that is inaccurate, it is biased, it is incorrect. And then there are those nuggets of signal. It's truth, and you can do something with it. And usually when there's a really bad real estate deal, when things go bad, that's when you get the real signal. And so as you can tell just in the way that I'm communicating, I have thoroughly trained myself to have a neuroassociative condition where anytime a bad deal or something goes wrong in real estate, I get excited because I know I'm about to nab some signal. And when I do, that allows me to be more productive in the future. It allows me to make more money and do better deals or better yet to avoid a bad situation because sometimes the biggest success is to say no to a deal, to never enter into it, to be able to actually close the door before you walk in. And so when I wrote the book, Real Estate Investing Gone Bad, it was, it was a combination of some of the greatest a bad or terrible stories where things occurred that you could grab tremendous lessons from. And in each case, I, I had I had quite a bit of working knowledge on the actual situation. And that's what's so important. It wasn't hearsay. So many of the listeners have probably gone to a real estate investor club meeting. And usually when you're kind of rubbing shoulders with people, they're going to say in passing, oh, did you hear about that situation where blah, 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 blah. And then you fill in the blank and it's it's hearsay, though. It's not specifics. And sometimes if you really are intrigued, you're like, well, what happened here and why did that happen? And they can't answer those questions because they didn't know the stories. So when I put that book together, I wanted to make sure that any story I added was complete truth from start to finish. And I, I interviewed all the players involved in the deal that I could get my hands on to make sure that every piece of the data was correct. Because otherwise, you, you, you know, you can't have apocryphal stories here. They can't be made up just to just to teach a lesson. They need to be true because that's where it all comes from. And uh, let me give you an example. This is actually a, um, th this is uh, an individual that I've known for a long time. He um, fascinating situation. So his father had been in real estate. His father was a real estate broker. His father became a real estate appraiser on the commercial side. And so he had. Um, he inherited an apartment building that his father had originally purchased. And there was a loan on it for about a million. The apartment building was making pretty good money. And I think for, for the majority of listeners, kind of a dream come true would be to own a 50, 75, 100-unit apartment building, throwing off some consistent cash flow. That way you could be uh, camping an hour north of St. Louis and, and your kids could be out uh, squirrel hunting while you're relaxing um, underneath a big oak tree, you know? And so yeah. this individual, uh, he, he had it going on. He, he had this apartment building. He was also a commercial appraiser, kind of fell into his father's footsteps, still is a commercial appraiser today. And, and so as he, um, he, but he got tired of a, the apartment building. He had to, ever so often, he had to fire the property manager that lived on site and put a new one in. And there were always problems. It was an older building, so the pipes were older, the electrical was older. And just in general, he, he developed this frustration with the property itself, like it was the cause of all these other problems in his life. Now, in truth, 
It was a good property. Yes, it, it had some deferred maintenance, but that was also because he wasn't reinvesting some of the money he should have been into improving it along the way. And also, he wasn't a great manager. He just he didn't he didn't run that thing like uh, the way you should run a seventy five hundred unit apartment building. That's that's a machine. It's a it's a business. And it's got to be run uh, high and tight. Well, um, I was driving through his area. Um, it, it was it's it's a major city in the south, and um, he wanted to show me this this project he was so excited about. Well, did you did you say seventy five hundred units or seventy five to a hundred units? Yeah, 75 to 100 units. I don't know the exact, yeah, it wasn't okay. 7,500. It was okay. 75 to 100 units, yeah. Um, good correction there. So I, um, we're driving through his area, and he wanted to show me this new project he was been working on. What had happened was, as a commercial appraiser, he got calls all the time for people that wanted appraisals. He got this call from this older woman, and he knew the building well because his dad actually liked the building while his dad was still alive, and it was in the downtown area. It was real pretty. It had, uh, it, you, you walked in, it had like the marble, it had the oak finishes. One of the tenants was one of the top attorneys in the entire city. One of the other tenants was a Wall Street investment bank. I mean, it just had the feel, the aura that this was a special place. And so she had called because she was looking to get an appraisal. And he asked, he said, well, why do you want to get an appraisal? And she said, well, my husband's passed away and I, I don't want to deal with this property anymore. I just want to sell it. And he came up with an idea. He said, well, I might be interested in buying it. Now, look, as an appraiser, I, if I want to buy your property, it wouldn't be good for me to appraise it. You need to hire someone else. But you would save the real estate commissions and you can sell directly to me. And she had known or I guess her husband had known his father and all that stuff. So they got a third party appraisal. He paid appraisal for it. Um, well, that was what they got under contract for. And the deal was he could get about 600000 out of his apartment building if he sold it. And so he was going to do a 1031 exchange. And so if any of you all know what that is, it's where you sell a property and whatever the gains are, you if you if you take all the money and you buy something that's at least the same value or more, whatever those gains are can get thrown into the next property. and You don't actually have to pay tax on it at that time. Now, you sell the other property, you have to pay tax, but not in the uh, the initial transaction. So he thinks he's a genius, Joe, Alex. He's going to do a 1031 exchange. Yeah. He is moving up in the world. He is going from owning some of those little, um, maybe the on the Monopoly board, the little light uh, orange, your, your Tennessees, or the, the red ones like your Kentucky Avs. He's going straight to Boardwalk and Park Place. That's what he's doing here. Right, right. And uh, so, he, so when I was driving through... He's like, I got to show you this this property. It's called the Icon. I got to show it to you, man. So we went and looked at it, and I mean, I'm, the, the 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 whole second level was this attorney's office, and he had this huge picture of Winston Churchill, this painting. I, I guess this attorney that was his favorite person in the world was Winston Churchill, and you know, you saw the Wall Street uh, Investment Bank. They were on one side of the first floor. The other side of the floor, first floor, there was an opening for another tenant. So he saw a little bit of upside there. And um, but you walked in and the place was beautiful. I mean, it really was spectacular. It was right in downtown and right up front uh, across the street up front. There's this uh, pond with the water shooting up out of the fountain. I mean, it was it was cool. So he falls in love with this deal. He's so excited. He, he puts the uh, apartment up for sale and he has a buyer immediately. So it's real easy to transition into this this new purchase. Now, the woman held a first mortgage of a million. So that was the deal. He puts up six hundred thousand, which came from the apartment as a ten thirty one, and then she was going to hold a, a fifteen year fixed. I think it was like six seven percent uh, first mortgage of a million. All right, and he feels like this was the coup of all coups. He's done the deal of the century, and I remember how excited he was, seeing that big smile on his face. And um, all right, so here's what happens next. So right now, all is good. He think we think he's a genius and. I'm sure if you went through that building, you'd, you'd think, wow, this is how real real estate investor players do it. This is, this is the big time. Well, the first thing that he discovers is that um, it doesn't actually cash flow as well as the apartment did. Now, it doesn't have as much maintenance issues, so that, that's good. But he's, he's got this problem of just looking at the fact that it's just not made as much money, but he thinks to himself, well, wait a minute. This is a nicer property. 
these these nicer class A commercial buildings have a lower cap rate. They're going to have a lower return, but over the long haul, I've got this attorney, I've got this Wall Street investment bank, things are going to be fine. All right, so uh, what happens next is this, the shocker of a lifetime. Um, he, uh, he gets a, a letter that says that the, uh, the investment bank is, is not going to renew their lease. Uh-oh. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. He was like, So this what? was This was after he bought it? This is after he bought it. Yeah, this is about, I don't know, it's about four months later, six months later. I mean, he didn't even think about the concern about uh, about renewing the lease because of those particular properties, typically a tenant will stay there for 20 years if they can. I mean, they're, they're right in the center of town, investment bank, all that great stuff. Um, they didn't renew. Well, this was right at about when the, when the market was about to collapse, and it turned out that that Wall Street investment bank, they knew they were about to collapse. I mean, the the... The head honchos um, in, in New York knew what was going on, so they were canceling not because of location, but because they were about to go under, which they ended up going under in 08, um, subsequent to this. But So he loses that tenant, and, um, and now he's thinking, uh, okay, well, now I've got two vacancies. He puts, of course, he's got those both on the market, and um, the, the, the economy's kind of tanking. So he's not getting any lookers. This is a class A commercial office space. If anybody's ever been in the office space business, you know that it booms when the economy booms and it tanks when the economy tanks. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the way office works. Um, well, uh, the attorney uh, then puts in his notice that he's not renewing because apparently the attorney got some of his clients from that investment bank. And I guess somehow, I mean, people go in the investment bank, they got money, they need an attorney, they, they work with him. So uh, about... That's about another nine months later, because it, it takes a while on commercial leases to kind of, quote, get out of them. Uh, but it's, it's a year later, and that thing's fully vacant, and nothing, nothing's coming in as far oh, as wow. tenants. He eventually has to, um, he eventually uh, loses it. Uh, the, the, um, the old woman forecloses on him. He loses the property, and uh, that was it. It was gone. Meanwhile, his apartment building, had he held on to that when the market collapsed, he would have been killing it. Because apartments, of course, boomed when everybody lost their houses and needed a place to live. So the lessons on that story, number one is you never fall in love with a property. He fell in love with it, not with the numbers. That was his first huge mistake. And he even told me that. He just said, Phil, that my, my big mistake on that deal is I literally fell in love with the property itself. The marble, the oak finishes, the chandelier, who the two tenants were. I thought I was getting away from all these, you know, uh, minimum wage earning tenants into the big time. But what he discovered was there's huge risk in only having two tenants versus having 75. Plus with the 75 tenants, those people need a place to live versus the, uh, the attorney or the Wall Street firm, they, they can change their office space. So the, the other thing was that he just, he didn't look at the math in terms of what's a better real estate deal, not what looks flashier and prettier. And I, I, I say this a lot to my apprentices. The best investments are never the ones that are that are wrapped in a bow that have that are that are neatly, uh, perfectly groomed. They're not like that. You know, so whether it be a turnkey property y'all could buy out there, there's plenty of them. Um, you know, those are already have the manager in place. They're already rehab. They already have the tenant in place. The grass is already cut. Those are never the best real estate investments long term because you all of the good stuff has been stripped away by whoever is the one flipping it to you on a turnkey basis. Right. You need to get to the deals that other people don't know about or other people don't see the potential you see. Now, the irony was the person who bought that apartment building they went in and, uh, and reinvested um, a lot of money in, in improving his old apartment building. And that thing, but best I know for, as of right now, that thing's firing on all cylinders, uh, that previous apartment building he got out of. The other thing is when you look at just the idea of kind of upgrading, upgrading, as you all know from even getting a cell phone, sometimes the newest upgrade is not an upgrade. Sometimes it's a downgrade. I think for a lot of people, the difficulty is knowing when they've got a home run and having the patience to just keep it that way, not to change it. It's already a home run. Just keep it the way it is. I've, um, I've often told people that 
The biggest issue in business is not that you have too little of opportunity. Usually it's that you have too much and you go after things when you already had something really good to begin with. So that's an example of not only a story from the book, but how when when a deal goes bad, if you're not the one experiencing it, (laughs) if you can be the one on the outside looking in, you can gain tremendous wisdom. You can learn from the mistakes of others so you get to save the money, but hopefully uh, learn the lesson. And ultimately, you can make better decisions because we only only live life once. And um, if you take some major hits in real estate, I have seen it time and time again. People quit. They leave. They do one bad deal and they're out for life. And that is the, probably the single biggest mistake anyone could ever make financially is to not stay in real estate making good decisions along the way. And even if you make a few bad ones, if you stick to it long enough and you learn from the mistakes of others, you can't help but win. Yeah, that's that's a crazy story. I, I've often thought about that. Um, two things I was thinking about while you were talking was uh, that's one big reason why I love residential real estate. People will always need a roof over their heads. They can lose an office. You know, they can work out of their home but they'll always need a place to sleep. And um, so I like residential real estate a lot. There is a place for commercial investing, right? But you got to understand that there is more risk with that. You'll do really well when the economy is doing well, but you'll hit the ground hard when it crashes. Um, the yeah, other there, thing I was there are a lot about, of different commercial real estate you know, asset types and classes. Yeah. And uh, I've never been a big fan of Class A anything. Yeah. Anything that's shiny, shiny and polished, when y'all are driving down the interstate and you see those enormous uh, complexes where they have like three or four buildings, they're all super shiny. They might have some big company you know about on the top. Anything that's big, shiny, if you see skyscrapers, I see that where people like, that's their dream. They write it down. My goal is to own a skyscraper in Chicago. No, 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 you don't want that. There's no money in that. There's no money in skyscrapers. Those are for your insurance companies, pension funds, those hedge funds that have raised gigantic dollars, and they need to put the money somewhere, and it typically is a bad deal. But there are other parts of commercial that are absolute, to me, home runs, whether it be apartment buildings, mobile home parks is a complete home run, Um, self-storage can be absolutely fantastic, Uh, shopping centers can be if you've got a great anchor tenant. And uh, even that, I think long term, we have to be concerned about. And we look at trends where more and more people are using those mail services for their groceries. Uh, I know we personally use Freshly. And so, I mean, I know there's always going to be a need for a grocery store as, a, as an anchor tenant in a, in a shopping center. But even that I'm a bit concerned about. I'll tell you what's, what's boomed in commercial is industrial because of services like Amazon and other um, Drop shipping services uh, from the web. Uh, industrial is boom, but that, there's uh, at this point they're having to build new because there's almost nothing left on the market. Yeah, so there's there's room for commercial. It's just you got to do it right. I mean, the best deals for us individual investors listening to this, we want the class B and class C stuff. We want the stuff that needs value add. It needs to be re- uh, remodeled. It's not uh, just super shiny and perfect already. And and it also the numbers have to make sense. And I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of office space because office just in general, it's it's only good for a very short period of time. And then uh, once the economy tanks again, like it always does, it falls apart. Yeah, that's really good. And the other big key to that is don't fall in love with the property. You got to fall in love with the numbers. You know, we've we both met a lot of people who fall in love with this house and the numbers just don't work, but they love the deal. I mean, they, they, they love the, like you think, like the things you said, they love the, uh, the features of it. Um, I know in particular, I have some family members right now that are looking at rental properties and, uh, I can't talk them out of it. You know, it's because they love the fact that this house is all fixed up. It doesn't need any work. Uh, it's in a good area and, um, they're paying too much for it though. And, you know, they're okay with that because, I guess of the peace of mind that it gives them. Um, but we'll see how much peace of mind they have after they buy it. You know? And the cash Let's flow hope is they do a right to own, beg them and plead them to do it. Don't, if they do a normal tenancy on a single family, 
Oh. Whew. I, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Not at all. So um, you're, you're suggesting do a rent-to-own on that then? If it's a single family, I, I, I see – I have not seen where – unless you're dealing with like a – uh, a house you bought in Buffalo, New York, for ten thousand dollars that you can lease for for nine hundred. I mean that you can do a normal tenancy on because you won't be able to sell it for as much as you can cash flow it. But when for the more, majority of parts of, of of the world, not just America, it is almost always better if you have a single uh, if you have a single unit, single family home, it's just a condo. It's one unit you're renting. The vacancy cost can be enormous if if you if you lose that. That tenant. So the only way you're able to really uh, solve that problem is to go the rent-to-own route, because then you can get your three, four, five, eight thousand dollars up front, which could be uh, equate to say three or four months of vacancy costs, and so that'll help solve that problem. And the majority of people don't exercise their option to purchase, anyways. Um, our, our experience has been a little less than eighty uh, percent uh, do not exercise their option, even though they should and could. Um, that's the only way to make those things work. Otherwise, the uh, I'm a big fan of vacation renting and short-term renting right now. The majority of my portfolio is in that. So if they got a nice enough property, a nice enough area, they just need to put it on Airbnb and HomeAway and do it that way because then you don't have the same issues that you would have with a normal tenant. All you have to do is if, if anybody on, on this recording um, would, would like to know what it's like to be a landlord, this is, this is absolutely free. Here's your tip. Take a drive down to eviction court at your local county court eviction, or maybe just the, the, the normal court of the court, go hang out there during one of their docket sessions and, and listen and look at, the, look at the facial expressions on the landlords and on the tenants and look at the drama. It's real, and it can be awful. It can be a terrible experience being a landlord. That's I've hilarious. Got, sure, I've got some stories in there <laughs> and real estate investing gone bad, but if you go the rent-to-own route, at yeah. least when you go through the nightmare, you got an extra five thousand dollars sitting in your bank account. The nightmare is not quite as, as scary. Well, and you also, in my experience with rent to own, and I'm a big fan of rent to own, you get better quality tenants and that, that take better care of the home. Um, I just had a tenant buyer move out of one of my properties. He was there for almost eight years. I never got one call to fix anything, um, and he was never late. And unfortunately, he couldn't buy the home. He didn't want to, actually. He bought another house. But, um, yeah, just a fantastic a fantastic tenant. And he took care of it. And the property is in just as nice of shape, practically, as it was when he moved in. Uh, Phil, do you have another story that you like from the book? I, 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 this will bring it home, I think, to a lot of your uh, listeners. Um, I know that other one kind of went off on a commercial tangent. but um, So... Uh, this, this may have happened to some of the listeners as well, but this story actually was one where someone had reached out to me through, I think it was my website, freedommentor.com, or maybe a comment on YouTube, and I, I explored uh, the situation with this individual and, and learned this whole story. But So he had, uh, he had gotten really excited about the idea of wholesaling. He had heard that it, it had limited risks, and he could make a quick five or 10000 each deal, and and it really appealed to him. And, it, and the idea of wholesaling appeals to a lot of people because most people are scared of, of things going wrong. And the idea that with, with wholesaling, what the heck can go wrong? You know, the seller you know, decides they want to sell to somebody else or the contract falls apart. Who cares? So he gets this deal under contract. And, um, you know, it's hard to find a good deal these days, but they still exist out there, especially if you know what you're doing. And uh, in this particular individual's case, I think <laughs> – uh, in, in surmising what had happened, that even a blind squirrel finds a nut ever so often. And so he, he ran into a real deal. This was a good one. And he gets it under contract with the seller. And he, um, he, you know, he read some books, listened to some podcasts. He, he, had, he had at least had enough working knowledge that his next step was to go try to flip this thing to an investor buyer that had the cash to actually close and so um, he went online, he was driving around, saw some signs. So he, he called some of these that he thought were other investors. He finally got a guy on the phone named Derek. And, uh, and Derek, uh, Derek gets the, the details of the deal. He, apparently he drives by, calls him back, and he says, yeah, I'm very, very interested. Expect an offer from me in the next day or two. And um, 
this guy, of course, th- th- this gentleman, uh, just completely brand new about wholesaling, didn't know what he didn't know about any of this stuff, but he had found a real deal. Well, um, he gets a he gets a call about three days later. He'd never heard back from this Derek guy. Guy basically disappeared. Um, he gets a call, and it's it's from the real estate commission that a complaint has been filed that he is practicing real estate without a real estate license. And he didn't even know what to think. Right. So he's going online and he's Googling, he's freaking out. And, um, he doesn't know, he, he doesn't even know where to go next. And so he, um, he talks to some, some friends and whatnot. And they all say, you need to get an attorney. He's like, I don't have any money for an attorney. And now he's starting to get worried, like, what if I go to jail? Oh, my gosh, I've I've lived a perfect life. I've never gotten in legal trouble. All I want to do is one little wholesale deal. Now all of a sudden I'm in big trouble. So uh, the the real estate commission um, requires him to go go do a a meeting where they're going to record everything. And they said to bring all his paperwork. And he doesn't have an attorney, so he goes into this meeting. They ask him all these questions. And all this stuff gets, um, gets recorded. And then they're going to, you know, levy this verdict on him. And, um, and so they reach back out to him, I don't know, it was a week later. And they say, yeah, we have uh, determined that you are uh, practicing real estate without a license. And they start going over all of the, the different things that uh, could happen from a, uh, a penalty standpoint. And this person by this time is crying. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. You know, just begging to just have the thing erased so he can go back to his previous life. He's so freaked out. Well, they said, all right, look, if you're if you cancel your contract, since technically you haven't finalized anything yet, uh, if you cancel your contract, you remove it from Craigslist, remove it from Zillow. If you if you do all that, um, then we won't penalize you. And so this guy thinks that the you know, the 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 floodgates of heaven have opened on him. He is so thankful. He calls the seller. The seller's very disappointed, by the way, and uh, <clears throat> gets it canceled. Breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, he doesn't have to deal with that problem anymore. Well, life goes back to normal. He's working his job. A few months go by. And this topic of house flipping, you know, he sees those seminars come to town. So, I don't know. He just, one day he's kind of bored. So, he starts Googling about practicing real estate without a license. And that's how he found me. He found one of my articles where I was describing. Because we spent over, I don't know, maybe it's $30,000 in legal fees to defend apprentices over the years. And and the fact that we've always won, we've gone up against many real estate commissions and we win every time. And so I wrote this this article. I had a video about under what circumstances is is it illegal and where it's not illegal. And so this this guy was like, oh, my gosh, this is so weird because, you know, what I was saying was different from what the real estate commission had said. And so I think he posted a comment. So I I told him, I said, shoot me an email with the final verdict from that uh, real estate commission. You know me, Joe. I'm, I, that's signal to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's pure gold to me. Send me what the real estate commission sent you, and then I and then I can send it to my legal team. And so, um, and of course, it's it's free for him, right? I mean, he's just like, shoot, you're doing this all for free. And I was like, no, this is how I learn. This is how we become as good as we've become because I am a, a constant collector, pulling stuff out of the woodwork to learn more and more about this business. And so he. Um, He's shocked when I respond that the real estate commission was wrong. They were using case law to support an option contract. An option contract is a unilateral contract. It does not establish equitable interest. And therefore, if you do try to flip a property using an option agreement, then you are practicing real estate without a license because you never establish equitable interest um, or equitable title, as they call it in, in Ohio and a few other states. Whereas a bilateral contract between a buyer and a seller does establish equitable interest, and therefore, you, you, due to the constitutional right to the, re, the free alienation of property, you do have the right to do it. So um, I wrote him back this in a, in a condensed version of that, and uh, he, he was like, oh my gosh, I was legal the whole time? I said, yeah, no, you did it right. No, no, the, the, the real estate commission bullied you. They'll do that all day long. They don't care. They can right. be, the government can be wrong in their interpretation of the law. That's that's it doesn't mean the government just because they they're the government they know what they're talking about, and um, in any event he he was so into, he actually had a little bit of money by now he actually reached out to an attorney to verify what I'd said and the attorney agreed with me completely, 
And so uh, he, he wondered. So he called that seller back and he said, hey, why did you why did you file that complaint on me all those months ago? And the seller's like, what are you talking about? I never filed a complaint. He goes, what? Well, who complained? She goes, what are you talking about? He goes, the reason why I canceled my contract with you was because the real estate commission was investigating me. And he goes, well, she goes, well, I was really upset you canceled the contract. I, I ended up selling it to this guy named Derek. No way. No way. Yes. Turns out Derek was a local wholesaler who was not happy with the competition in town. And that's a good way to get rid of competition. You get them to want to leave. So no when y'all are out there, by the way, this is real world. That, that's real story. I'd never heard of a buyer of another investor doing that to somebody to get them out of the deal. That's insane. Not just out of the deal, out of the whole area. He didn't. That was his zone. That was his marketing area. That's very real. That is, it, I'm not going to say it's ultra common, but there in real estate, what I've discovered in my career is that for the most part, whether it's a seller, a neighbor, another investor, if you have a good deal, somebody else is, come or, is coming after it. Now, if it's not a good deal, you'll never have that problem. Don't worry. If you, if you buy bad deals, everybody, if people are, are smiling and hugging you at the closing table, Sometimes you need to get real nervous. Why are they so happy? Are they trying to screw me? Whereas if people are slightly upset at the closing, like they didn't, like they're, they're okay with the transaction, but they're not like elated. If they're right in that middle zone, then you know you have a, you have a better situation on your hands. I'm always nervous if everybody in the closing, like the closing agent's smiling super nice and the, 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 the seller is super nice. And, oh, Phil, can I get you a coffee? That kind of stuff makes me nervous because usually what's happening is if you have a great deal, people are coming after it. That's when the attacks come. And so knowing how to defend yourself and being able to stand up for yourself when the attacks come, this attack of practicing real estate without a license, that attack is so common. I get, I mean, I, I'm not going to say every apprentice I've ever worked with. But at some point, just about every real estate investor that's ever going to do any sort of wholesaling where they're not the traditional buy it, they become the owner on the deed, then they resell. There at some point, it's going to be an agent. It's going to be a mad neighbor. Somebody is going to file your practicing real estate without a license complaint. And understanding how to defend yourself and being able to have the poise to know when there really is a problem versus there's not. Um, I mean, it, it can happen in a heartbeat, literally just your whole world sinks as an investor. And you're like, oh, my gosh, did I do something wrong? And if you got this game dialed in, you can stand up for yourself and do what I just said earlier. And usually the person that complained, they'll just back off real quick. I had a situation one time where I uh, uh, actually I think it's, it might be in the book, too. It might be in Real Estate Investing Gone Bad, where uh, one of our people was wholesaling this deal and um, the new buyer's agent New buyer's agent said, hey, I, you didn't hear this from me, but the FBI is investigating this transaction that you're a straw buyer in the state of California. Yeah, just letting you know the FBI is investigating. And, of course, this, uh, her name is Susie. She wow. freaked out. Wow. She's like, FBI investigating me? Yeah. Look, I'm not supposed to know that, but I'm just telling you as, you know, as, a, as a colleague and as a friend. Well, what should I do? What should I do? Well, you know, what you might want to do is just, um, you know, kind of quietly exit from the deal. I mean, I know you probably don't want to do that, but I mean, I'm sure an investigation would stop if you left the deal. This, and uh, of course, uh, th this person was in my program. So she sends this to me. I start laughing. I said, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. They're investigating the investigations of the investigated. Yep. There's lots of investigations going on. I'll say, who told you it was an investigation going on? She said, the buyer's agent. I said, okay, well, what do you know about this buyer's agent? Well, what did, what did it turned out? I figured this out by asking enough questions. It turned out that the buyer's agent uh, was married to a guy that ran the mortgage company. And because it was a flip or a wholesale, the, the original mortgage broker in the deal, which was this husband of the buyer's agent, he was going to take the buyer FHA. But due to, uh, as you probably know, the title restrictions and whatnot, uh, you had to go conventional. You can't go FHA in that situation. 
And so I had told uh, Susie to take it conventional with a different mortgage broker. And since the, uh, the, the buyer's phone number was on the earnest money check, I told her to call that buyer and explain to them that they need to move to a different mortgage company. So they did. So the buyer's agent wanted uh, was so mad that her husband had lost his mortgage business deal on that that uh, she wanted to, she wanted to sabotage the deal altogether and take that buyer to a different property so her husband could get the mortgage commission. It's a true story, and no uh, we stuffed no that way. one out. So, anyways, the uh, the the buyer gets kind of in the middle of all this, and I I told Susie I said you need to teach that buyer that that buyer's agent is trying to sabotage her getting this wonderful home because her husband's not getting the mortgage uh, business. And so we educated the buyer. The buyer stood her ground and said, I'm buying this home and I'm not using your husband as the, as the mortgage broker. And you, you know, y'all can deal with it. And so it ended up closing. All was good. The whole FBI thing was completely made up. And, uh, it, it obviously didn't work that time because I smelled a, I smelled a rat on that one. But yeah, no, that's that's real world. You get a deal with real money involved, people are coming after it. They don't want you to be successful. You have to defend yourself. Well, this is the truth. You know, if you do enough deals, if you do enough marketing, and you're active in this business, you got to have thick skin. You know, people are going to come after you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to try to steal your deals. They're going to threaten you, the real estate commission. I guess, you know, it's all it's happened to all of us. We've done, done a lot of deals. The important thing, I think, is to really take a step back and say, you know, really, come on, like, what's the worst that can happen? I get a threatening letter from the real estate commission. All right, so what? What's the worst that can happen? They're not going to send you to jail. You know, they're not, and you you can fight it. You can get an attorney to to, to represent you. Um, (laughs) Hey, Joe, I know you haven't read the book yet. I do have one story where the folks in Iowa did go to jail, but they did it. The reason why they went to jail was because they signed an affidavit on a short sale flip that said that they, they, you know, under oath that they would not resell the property within 90 days. And they sold it within 90 days. And um, and they had also falsified some uh, some documents to help the new buyer get the loan. They did a whole bunch of stuff that was literally illegal. They did go to jail. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, <laughs> People can go to jail. Right. Just don't do anything blatantly illegal, such as falsifying mortgage documents, um, putting under oath, signing an affidavit, and then doing exactly against the affidavit that you just signed. So yeah, I mean, I I, I do want to caution some people. It's possible to go to jail. You can. It's like it's like buying real estate. It's a lot easier to get in than it is to get out. Sometimes you can get into jail. It's possible. <laughs> okay. That's true. Don't do anything fraudulent, right? Don't do anything fraudulent. I had, Phil, I was teaching, I mean, I have my real estate license, and I was in a class, an ethics class that's required once every two years or something like that with the Real Estate Commission here, and um, or the the National Association of Realtors. And Which is funny, by the way, Phil, isn't it? The Real Estate Commission, guess what it's made up of? All realtors, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, anyway... Don't get me started. Oh, yeah. that, no, it's 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 a complete monopoly. Yes, all the way from the government side to the the the, the MLS system, the whole system. They teach in uh, in the in classes what a monopoly is, but that's exactly what they are. I find it quite humorous to even talk about. Right. So, well, this lady teaching the ethics class for the realtors, um, she used to be the president of the local association of realtors, and um, she was still very active, you know, teaching this stuff. But she said in there, that I thought that was fascinating. Um, she said, listen, if you're in this business long enough, um, you're going to get, you're going to get sued. You're going to get threatened to be sued. You're going to get ethics complaints filed against you. It's just going to happen. And in fact, if you haven't, and she's talking to realtors, she says, if you haven't had complaints filed against you or lawsuits or whatever, you just have not had enough listings. You've not been marketing hard enough. That's just the way it is. I thought that yeah. was interesting coming from the president of the, of the Association sure. of Realtors, you know. But um, that's scary to a lot of people, isn't it, Phil? I mean, people listening to this, Phil, are going to be like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, Right. I, I think they need to at least have, an, um, have the knowledge so they can start to make better decisions on what they want to do. If they're going to play in the wholesaling game, that, that's where they need to understand the laws. Now, if they're going to buy a property – 
become the owner on record, then resell at some future point, um, there's a lot more. Uh, you don't have to worry as much. There's there's a lot less as far as laws you have to be concerned about. But you know, for me, I heck, I get excited now. If I get someone to threaten me, you're going to hear from my attorney. This is my response. Great. What's his phone number? I'll talk to him now. He sounds like a great guy. Can't wait to talk to him. And that's when they go, uh, mm, uh, because you don't have one, do you? I have an attorney. He can talk to your attorney. Here's the great thing: when you're when the attorneys talk. They're going to charge bills to both of us. I can afford the bills. I don't know if you can. So if you want me to talk directly to your attorney, I won't have to pay a bill, but you you will still have to pay the bill of that attorney. So I like, you know, I, not only do I have the, I, I don't know if you call it the thick skin, but I, I also engage and try to snuff out the threats. So when we talk about this stuff and it's scaring someone, I'm not, we're not like, this isn't like the, like almost like a threat. It is understand the laws if you're going to be wholesaling. What constitutes practicing real estate without a license and what doesn't? Understand, you know, what needs to be in those contracts. If you don't have the money to invest in someone to show you what to do, at least hire a good attorney to show you just the basics on the contract that need to be in there to understand some of those basic things. And then this is what gets exciting, Joe, and this is what I like so much about it. When there are big problems, those create barriers, barriers to entry, allow that the existing business owners can be more successful because they have less competition. So look at each hurdle, everybody, as as a benefit down the line. Because if it's a hurdle, it means that some people won't get past that hurdle, but you will, which means that you have less competition. So anytime I'm getting into a new, uh, embarking on on a new strategy or anything new that we're doing, I get excited the harder it gets. Because I know that other people don't have the same tenacity that I do so I'm, I'm excited as it gets more and more. I want it so difficult, Joe, but just at least one little crack or a sliver to slip through to be you know, to get to the other side. I just don't want it to be big enough for anybody else to get behind me. So I, I get excited about those problems, and I hope that other people that are listening do too. You want there to be barriers to entry in business, y'all, because if there isn't, then everybody does it. And if everybody does it, then the profit margins go to nothing. And then you have a commodity on your hands and nobody's making any money and everybody's miserable. Like owning a McDonald's these days, they make like 6%. 6% on a McDonald's. Come on. Not like the 80s and 90s when they made some real money. Right. So, Phil, we only got a few more minutes here. Um, can you just give some advice to people listening on how to do wholesaling the right way? Um, what are some sure, things sure. you need to have in place? Yeah, to here's do it right. the number one rule of rule of rules. I'm like dancing over here as I'm telling you. The number one rule in wholesaling is you must get a bilateral contract in place with a seller first. Number one first. You must get the contract in place with the seller first. Then you can market, you can sell the interest that you have. You're not representing the seller. You're not selling their property. You're selling their your interest in their property. And so why that's so unique and different is because some people try to start with the buyer first, which is logical. They find a buyer and the buyer says, I'm looking for a house that's a 3-2 in this neighborhood and da-da-da-da. And hey, I'll pay you 5000 if you find the deal. And so they got the buyer first. And then they go out and find the seller. They go out and find the house first. Uh, second, you've got to find the seller first because, again, if you have to go in front of a real estate commission and, and under oath have to tell the truth, who did you start with? Did you already have the buyer dialed in and lined up? And then did you then go find the seller to fit what the buyer was looking for? They call that reverse wholesaling. I call it practicing real estate without a license. Um so if, if you start with the seller and you have a bilateral contract in place with the seller, then you go out and find the buyer. Now you can prove that the seller came first, the new buyer for your interest came second. Now you're, you're doing it legally. Um, and I, I shouldn't be saying legally if I'm not an attorney, but you understand. Um, you can go talk to 50 different attorneys that understand it, and they would, they would confirm with me on that one. Number one rule in wholesaling, start with the seller. If you've heard about courses and webinars on reverse wholesaling, look, they come to me sometimes with that around here, and I just tell them, I say, look, I'm just telling you that if the real estate commission gets on to what you're doing, you will not have a good legally defensible argument. You'll be in trouble. So start with sellers. And like, well, 
it's hard, you know. I mean, the buyer wants this. And I was like, I, I didn't say it was easy. I'm just telling you what's legal. So start with sellers. Well, there's nothing wrong with go ahead and getting your license, right? If, if somebody wants to do that, get the buyers first. Go ahead and get well, your license. if you're going to get your real estate license, you bring in a whole new set of uh, things you've got to get dialed in. For example, if you have your real estate license, please hear me clearly, everybody. When you put in your contract, put on there that you're not only a licensed real estate agent, but oh, 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 you're also a member of your local board of realtors. Because anybody that gets their license always gets part of the board of realtors so they can get NLS access. We, uh, I, I ran into a situation where uh, somebody had put a property under contract. They were going to do a wholesale, had a new buyer lined up, going to make their 30000 Everybody's wonderful and happy. New buyer knocks on the door of the house, talks to the, the original seller. They decide they need to get rid of the wholesaler in the middle. Hey, let me just buy directly from you. And uh, so the seller files a complaint that the person's practicing real estate um, in such a way where it's, you know, it's, it wasn't practicing without a license, but it's some other complaint because she was licensed. And so what ended up happening was the real estate commission for the state couldn't find any wrongdoing. Oh, but guess who could find wrongdoing? The ethics board of the board of realtors, because she never disclosed that she was a member of the board of realtors. She disclosed she was a real estate agent. So on a state level, she was fine. But at a realtor board level, she was not fine. And so because of that, oh, and here's the other little trick. When she, she put the property under contract in an LLC, but she signed it without putting the comma managing member of the LLC next to her signature. So because of uh, that signature um, and because of the fact that she didn't disclose she was a realtor, she lost her real estate license over that. Because the realtor board went to the, to the state and said that we recommend that you remove her license because of this or she needs to pay like $25,000 in fines or something. So she just said, I don't want the license that bad. So she lost her license over that. So if you get your real estate license, um, I mean, I just, I just gave you, what, that was $25,000 lesson right there. If you have your real estate license, always put in there that you're also a member of the board of realtors, not just that you're a licensed real estate agent. They're two separate things. And if, if push comes to shove, whereas the state can't do anything, if the board of realtors you know, finds you guilty, they then send it back up to the state. And the state usually does, as Joe mentioned, exactly what the board of realtors says. And also make sure when you sign on behalf of an LLC, you put comma managing member or whatever your role is, manager or member of. Make sure you sign correctly. Those two little details. That was a big blow for her. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I, I, yeah, I, no, I mean, I, you, I've also heard a story of, um, and we got to go here in just a minute, um, Phil. I appreciate all your time. Um, I, I also, to put it in context too, I also heard a story of a realtor that got in trouble, had an eth not in trouble, but just had an ethics complaint. Which, again, like yeah. I said before. Happens to every if you do it if you've been in business long enough it happens to every realtor, um, yeah. but they got a complaint filed against them because they made quote unquote too much money on a wholesale deal, and they didn't represent even though they disclosed they were an agent they disclosed that they're not representing anybody only themselves the the board of realtors thought that this realtor had made too much money on the deal now how do you define that it's ridiculous right. yeah, and, and again that's at the board of realtors level. That's on their ethics side because that that if anybody reads the Board of Realtors ethics stuff, I mean it's pretty broad and it just it really kind of restricts if you really follow it to a T what an investor can do. What I do is I just tell the sellers, I say, look, are you going to have a problem with me making money? Because if you are, I'm not going to do this. I I get them up front to to commit to that, and I, I haven't had that problem. But yeah, that could happen. They could say that it, because what the Realtors Board is going to argue is that that they're they're not playing the role of a real estate agent where their fiduciary responsibility should be to the seller or the buyer or both. But instead, they're, they're quote, profiting from this person because, it, because of um, maybe a lack of intelligence or ignorance on real estate. And, um, yeah, those, those realtor boards, I've been, I've been in front of them before. Um, now, I've, I've never gotten any, any trouble. I've been complained about. But every time, my, my argument was far more defensible than the crazy seller I was dealing with. But yeah, I mean, these kind of things, though, this is what happens in wholesaling. But when you close on a property, whether, whether it be subject to, uh, oh, by the way, I got another story on that sometime. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. My cleaners just walked in my office. Hold on a second. Uh, stop, 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 stop. 
Sorry, I, I don't speak Spanish either. I didn't know what to say. What's what's stopping Spanish? You know? um, I don't know. So, anyways, the uh, we had a subject. See, if you can get on title, you pretty much solve all your problems. So, if you can get on title to subject two or with owner financing, once you become the owner, then you don't run into these issues because uh, the realtor board can't complain to you if you become the owner of the property. Their complaint has to do with before you're the owner and you're just at the contract stage. That's when they can flip out and say, well, you should have gotten a 3% commission, not $20,000 wholesaling interest release fee. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's another thing that we, that we, uh, we, we try to push to get on title whenever possible, even, yeah. even if it's for 30 days, because that, that eliminates some of those problems. Yeah. And I, I hope for everybody listening, you know, these kind of horror stories, these war stories, I, I want this to be an education for you because it's the real world, but it doesn't mean you don't do the business. It just means you make sure you cross your T's and your dot your I's and you get it dialed in right. Because when you do, you're going to have that longevity. And that's the, that's the beauty of all this, is that the more barriers to entry there are, the more challenges there are, the less people can stick around. But when you fashion yourself correctly and you get yourself positioned right, then you can execute and you can make the money. And, um, and even if you do get into some sort of complaint situation, you not only defend it, they get done uh, every time we've gone against the real estate commission. Without exception, they have put the word, we apologize. Apologize for having bothered you. You have done everything according to the law. We apologize. Love seeing that on a letter from the government. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, Phil, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, how can people get a hold of you and reach out to you, Phil? Uh, best thing to do would be just to um, go to the YouTube channel. Watch some of my videos. I think that's the best way to get to know um, a lot of people these days, whether it be a podcast or listen, um, watch some of those videos, find some, even search for them, kind of topics that you like. I've got over 200 videos uploaded. I've pretty much got a video for about every question anybody's ever asked me. Um, and so get to know me there and then uh, you'll see on those videos you can download a, a, for a free copy of my first book, How to Be a Real Estate Investor. If you want to know my story how I got started. I was homeless when I was 22 years old, flat broke, and, um, and and how I got to where I am today. You can read that entire detailed story all the way down to eating beans and everything in between. It's all true uh, through that book. And uh, also go to Amazon, type in Real Estate Investing Gone Bad. Please get that book. If for no other reason, don't worry, Amazon makes all the money on the book. I don't. Um, just so you know what not to do. Please, please, please. Those lessons in there, they've already been learned. You don't have to learn them. Just grab the book or listen to it on audio and uh, learn those lessons so that you can be around six months, a year, two years from now. Joe and Alex are far more successful now than they got start when they got started because they've been in this thing longer. The longer you stay in real estate, the happier you're going to be. I've never met someone ever that said, you know, after 20 years of real estate and consistently making new distinctions and getting better and better, boy, I really wish I would have done something different besides owning and investing in real estate. I've never met a person say that. I've only met people that say, I wish I wouldn't have given up. So don't give up. But, but the way you're going to solve not giving up most easily is don't do any major mistakes. And that book will help you with that. Yeah, very good. And get yourself a coach. Hey, Get a mentor. Get someone to teach you. Yeah. Is that, well, maybe you can get it all in. I don't know. I mean, John D. Rockefeller, the, one of the wealthiest people in world history – he didn't, he didn't really have a mentor. He never read a book in his life. I don't know how he did it. But I know me personally, if it wasn't for a mentor, I can assure you I would have never done nearly even in the same ballpark of what I've been able to accomplish. I've never met anybody personally successful that didn't have a mentor. I guess it's possible. But the shortcut of shortcuts is to work with someone that really has their act together because they can teach you the things that no book can teach you that no podcast can teach you, that no video can teach you. All the in-between stuff, when you're in the throes of a deal, when things are going bad, when stuff's getting all hot and heavy, it's that mentor that can go, oh, I've been there before. This is what you do here. It can make all the difference. Yeah, that's very good, Phil. Again, appreciate the time. Uh, freedommentor.com. You can go to YouTube and just look up Phil Pustyovsky or Freedom Mentor, and you'll see all of Phil's videos there. Um, this has been really good, Phil. I think... Even though we're talking about these horror stories, people are going to learn from this. And I think it's going to, uh, what's the phrase, you know, 
weed weed out the chaff, you know. Yeah. And yeah, uh, no, it's it's, it's going to definitely cut away those that aren't serious. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And uh, thank you for your time, Phil. I hope to have you on the podcast again sometime soon. Yeah, I appreciate you, Joe. I know you're 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 kind of camping on vacation, so to take out time out of your schedule, that's first class. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Phil. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Hey, guys, if you want the notes on this episode and, and to see all of our other episodes, our part one episode with Phil, uh, make sure you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com, and you'll see the show notes. And um, just go to the search bar and do a search for Phil, and you'll see part one and part two on there as well. All right, guys, we'll see you later. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>